Would you like to come and stall it? Ah, will you just stall it, look? I'd like to come and stall it. I'm not really in the mood. Well, come on and bleed and stall it. Yeah, house hatcher. I'm not a house hatcher. We'll stall it for a crack. We're gonna have a laugh. How are you doing? Welcome to Stalla. It's an episode with a guest. Stalla is a Go Loud original podcast. Go Loud is the home of Irish podcasts, has all the, the, the best the, podcasts the, 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 in the Ireland. And this episode has one of the best podcasters in Ireland and possibly the world. It is Blind Boy Bow Club. How are you doing, Mr. Bow Club? You're How are you, lads? I'm fantastic. How are you? Are you well? That's such Sorry. a sexy voice, isn't it? It's an iconic voice. How are you, lads? Thank you very much. Darren does a good impression of you. Go on. <laughs> Yort. <laughs> How are you keeping? Again. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, I've been fucking Darren. I've been. I've been. I've been looking at your stuff. I'd say now for about ten years since you were. Yeah. I'd say seventeen. Jesus. Would have, Jesus. Yeah, would have been nineteen twenty. I remember. Uh, you used to comment on my stuff years ago, and yeah. I, I used to have a a bit of a moment. But you probably would in the common. Let me say it. Yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> this is a moment here. Does no, it happen a moment? To, <laughs> I used to comment stuff like art and uh, gas cunt and do you know that kind of way? Yeah, um, I knew. So, do you know what though, Darren? Because I knew that even though you were a young flat and you're there with a phone and that's all you had, yeah. I could tell he's doing something that's really, really special. And if he works on that, he's going he's gonna to be professional. I knew it. I just knew it. I could tell. And I don't know what it was. It was an originality. There was your earliest videos. It was like, this fella here, there's something very original here. And if he sticks with that. So I was just going, fuck it. I'm, because uh, at that time I would have been, I'd been on TV and it would have been after Horse Outside and shit like that. So I was yeah, like, yeah. D- doing what I can to encourage. It's always good to encourage someone younger if they have any type of ability, if you have a bit of profile, just give him a like or whatever and say what you're doing is good. That shit goes a long way, you know? Well, sure, 10, 10 years ago wouldn't have been, uh, like you probably would have been just not starting off but be, becoming who the Rubber Bandits would go on to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this, man, I started off when I was 14, 15 in school. Like I used to do prank phone calls before the internet. The internet was there but it wasn't really, you might have one lad in school who had the internet if you know what I mean. Mm. So I used to do these prank phone calls when I was in junior cert and I'd put them on a CD. Well, no, what did we do first? We had a thing called a mini disc. Yeah, no, well, I'll tell you what happened is is I remember I it was actually this is so f- far back to think. So we made these things on a mini disc, and then there was a fella in our class who was like, more people will want to hear these, I guarantee you. Now, I didn't believe him. I was like, why would anyone want to hear me and my buddy ringing people up on the phone? But he put them onto a CD, and then his dad had a CD burner. And this was like the early 2000s, and people didn't have CD burners. Mm. So his dad had one. And I remember giving this young fella a flight box of 200 Carol cigarettes for him to... (laughs) print off like a hundred <laughs> CDs paid in fags <laughs> yeah that's literally um, and it was, he, he printed off a lot of these and then they went all over Limerick and before I knew it the odd person would have a CD burner on their computer 
And it was going viral as CDs that just being passed around Ireland, you know. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe it because when I started off, I thought, okay, these are prank phone calls. And the only people who like these are people who know me. And then you find out that some lad in the classroom next door who you don't know likes it. And it's like, wow, what the fuck's that about? Yeah. And then before you know it, you're hearing about lads in other schools. And then you're, a year later, it's like, oh, yeah, someone was listening to that CD in a bar in Boston. So it was like, it was viral, but really, really slow before the internet. Yeah. And then going, it was on. Were you going under the, the blind boy thing then? I didn't just, have a name then. I didn't have a name, just a voice and a prank phone call. And one of the reasons for the anonymity as well is that it was my that my ma, my ma's always filling me with, with anxieties. So my ma said something about uh Charlie Haughey nearly went to jail for recording phone calls in the 80s. So if you record <laughs> phone calls, that's illegal and you'll never become a postman. <laughs> and everyone because wants my to be ma, My ma had this thing, man. So I've no tattoos. I've no tattoos on my body because my ma would say to me, if you get a tattoo, you'll never become a postman. And I'm like, why do you want me to be? Why do you want me to be a postman? And she's like, what's wrong with being a postman? If you're if you're a postman, you're a postman forever, unless you record phone calls or get tattoos. So, yeah. so I had to go with the anonymity, and I didn't bother getting any tattoos. Yeah, yeah, ma wanted you to be a postman, and that was that was it. She, I, my ma's old school, so I think she wanted anything that she felt was like secure yeah so she she, that was her obsession it it wasn't like go and do what you want to do it's like i think it's because uh geez i was very bad at school like i I was i was horrendously bad at school i failed my leaving cert and i was i i was i had a weird thing man i got thrown into in second year I, i worked really hard in first year of school and then for whatever reason, they threw me into like the worst class in school. Do you remember in school, like there's the, the really, really, yeah, the, what you call the bad class. So I was in that and there was only like 13 people in the class. Yeah. And the thing with a class like that, and I, I was only 13, 14, like the teachers hate you when you're in that class. So mm. before the teachers even know you in their mind, this is the class for what they call dossers and troublemakers. So I was in there. And then I just found that, like, in, if, I'm, if I'm to be in any way liked in this class, there's two things I can do. I can either be hard and fighting, which isn't, isn't me, and that wasn't what I was about, or I could be a mad bastard. <laughs> and if, so I went with mad bastard. So mad bastard was being the person who has no problem smoking a fag at the back of class. Mm. Do you remember that? Like yeah, smoking yeah. the cigarette at the back of the class and the teacher's there. And then everyone in the school finds out that, oh man, he hear about him. He smoked a cigarette in the classroom. That type of shit. You wanted, and you wanted to kind of play up to it, didn't you? Where um, I, I had no to, choice. I was, I was the same. I used to smoke in the toilets and all that. And uh, we, yeah. used to have, we used to have a lane called the smoker's lane. And it'd just be like, you'd be segregated into that lane, like, you know. And I was like, oh, there's the smokers. <laughs> but but <laughs> so as well, it, it, it becomes your identity. It becomes yeah, yeah. your identity. I used, to, I used to abuse solvents as well. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm saying I used to like sniffing links through a school jumper. Yeah. Not because Just, I didn't even want to do it. It's if I did that, then yeah. that helped me be a mad bastard. Mm. Over there, he'll do anything. Oh, he's, he's stoned out of his mind on links. <laughs> oh my God, he he smokes cigarettes in class, he's and he's this fellow exactly. <laughs> and I look in, back at it now, 
that would uh, sniff. There'd be people in my year that would sniff uh, washing powder. What? That was a thing. But they thought. Yeah, they, they that was a thing in Limerick as well. They're washing powder what for fuck's sake! Like we used, we used Are to smoke there? newspapers when we had no cigarettes. <laughs> I remember there, there was lads. <laughs> yeah, the Harlan lads and the rugby lads used to crumble paracetamol into 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 rollies and smoke the <laughs> paracetamol because it made their muscles hard before a game. Um, <laughs> Did it? But the, the, so. no, <laughs> no. But the reason, the, the thing I'm saying is that, like, I, I I look back at that period now when I was twelve, thirteen, and I'm I'm really sad for that child. If you get me, yeah. Like I was put into a class where the teachers are like, "You're the messers. You're the garriers. You're going nowhere." And yeah. the only way I could get self-esteem or value was, all right, okay, well, if you're putting me in here and I'm a baddie, then I'm going to identify with being a baddie and that becomes something that I get a sense of value from. Mm. So it, it, I, I, it's really sad now when I look back. But I think as well, that's one of the reasons my ma wanted me to become a postman because she was like, what the fuck else is he going to do? So don't get any tattoos. Don't get caught recording phone calls. We need to figure out a way where you can get into a job where you don't get fired. Mm. And I'm, I'm assuming as well, she was thinking back to maybe what postmen were like in the 50s or 60s. Mm. I don't know what postmen she grew up around, but she was like, postmen can't get fired. You need one of them jobs. Yeah, Angela's Ashes, postman. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Postman. Yeah, you get, you get a full pension out of that. Full pension you? and a bike. Is, is, is that bike. still going? Because postmen still seem like one of those last jobs where you get this job and it's a career and, and you're sorted. Yeah, because that stuff civil, doesn't exist anymore, really, does it? Civil service. There was an old lad in the, the pub I used to work in, in Finglaster, and he was a postman, and he always be like, oh, don't be working in the pub. You want to get into the post. You yeah. want to be getting into the post, like, you know that way? Yeah, well, they'd be on the, uh, they'd be on the old contracts, mm. where they're probably getting, like, all the postmen would be on the older contracts. Yeah. Now, if you get into the post game, then, uh, <laughs> then it's probably not so much. There's a lot of swindling going on. I can't <laughs> imagine. I, I can't imagine. Now, I don't know, but I, I would say young postmen, now, if you start off as a postman or a postwoman or a postperson, whatever you want to call it, I doubt they're getting them big full contracts with pensions. Yeah. That shit just doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. Even if, if back in the day as well, if, 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 if someone was smart but they didn't have direction. They'd try and get them into the civil service. Like if someone got a good leave and search, you just fuck them into the civil service. And it's like, what do you do? And it's like, nothing. I just can't get fired. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know? It's just such security in it. And to RTE do used to be like that. If yeah. you were in Dublin, RTE be like that. Send yeah. them up to RTE and get, get him working as a cameraman. He'll never get fired. Yeah. A, a lot of it was, a lot of what I grew up with was my ma having this old school mentality of what, where are the jobs where you can't get fired? Yeah. It's Which also is unionized, isn't it? Everything, everything back yeah. then was a lot more unionized. And then it's like recently they've just found a way around that by just contracting work instead of having a, a job. Like every, everything is contracted in short term. Which is basis. terrible. Yeah. My dad yeah. was a union organizer. My dad worked in an airport in Limerick and he, he, was, he was an organizer of a union. So unions were a big thing in my house as well. The importance of uh, if you have a job, there's, there's rights and yeah. you can't just lose that job. And that job has a responsibility to you if you give your life to a job, the, the job has a responsibility to pay you money when you're finished that job. And all that stuff, which, which is now sadly disappearing, mm. like I saw a really fucking depressing thing. Um, it was an American airline, right? And basically, they, they'd given this brochure to all their uh, employees. <clears throat> so the employees had a union. And in order to be part of this union, it was like 
$300 a year and then you're in the union. So the airline showed all their employees a, a, like an image of an Xbox and was like, this is what you could have if you weren't paying those union fees. You could have this Xbox. Wow. It was so <laughs> fucked up. It was it's so crazy. fucked up. because uh, It's like job security on an Xbox. <laughs> if Xbox. you're like 21, 22, you'll go with the Xbox. Yeah, you're not for sure. thinking about job security. Yeah. You're not thinking about, you know, where you are in 30, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. You're not future planning. All your wages on Ultimate Team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still doing that. And I'm, I'm, I'm just about near 30, like. You smoke cigarettes, Darren, do you? Love the cigarettes, yeah. Do you really love them? I love them. Um, I'm smoking since I'm around 13. Since they, yeah. used to, they used to call me a smoker in the smoking lane. I never stopped. I mean, I, I get, used to do that. I get these things where I'm like, right, I'm going to stop now. Palpitations. You know that way? And then I'd stop. Like, I remember stopping for like six months before. It doesn't even habit, have the coolness. It's, habit, like, it's not like it's the 1950s. It's not and cool it's anymore, cool. yeah. Yeah, it's not cool mm. to have a. Like, have a you smoke. noticed, you know, one thing that's mad, like Darren was saying there, he was smoking when he was 13, right? Like, you, you don't see children smoking anymore. Now, that's great. <laughs> that's a good thing. But, like, literally, I remember lads who were like eight years of age smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Now, that was exceptional because you'd remember you'd get to 13, 14, and certain lads would just would be tiny. Mm. And it's like, yeah, he's the one who was smoking since he was eight. Mm. And then we used to always say to ourselves, you can't get addicted. You're a child. Children don't get addicted. But then the odd time, if someone did get addicted, the only solution was <laughs> you had to steal a pack of majors off someone's dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we were all And then like... if you smoked majors, apparently that was it. If you smoked a full pack of majors, you, you can't smoke from then on if you're a child. <laughs> Them majors <laughs> are heavy. <laughs> Do you remember, do you remember Boy Boy? I don't know if they had them down in Limerick. I'm sure they did. But do you remember the Tom and Jerry candy sticks? Or the chocolate smokes that you used to have? Like, they're named that kids. Like, you know what I mean? These lovely, lovely smokes. Like, the chocolate ones with the paper on them. That you'd wrap. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And then you had the candy. The candy yolks, yeah. The candy, yeah. Like, chalk kind of. Chalk things, yeah, yeah. Sweet flavor. Those chocolate ones were great. I mean, they've replaced it now with chocolate coins. But I do remember peeling off the... Peeling it off and eating that small chocolate thing. That chocolate was isn't bad. Chocolate you could eat the paper. Bad. I'd eat the paper. They were mad. The paper was good too. He's mad though. What used to do though, like, because you remember you'd, you'd try to go into the shop and you'd, you'd, you'd have a fake letter that you pretended to be your mother's writing. And it's like, these cigarettes are for my mother. Yeah. And they'd never believe you. But then, between the ages of about 12 and 15, they'd never sell you cigarettes. But for some reason, it was okay to sell me cigars. Because they would think, there's no way this 13-year-old wants a hamlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's 100%. like, yes, I do. I'm going to smoke <laughs> I want the phone box. I'm after that here. I want that here. Yeah. <laughs> I want the Cubana. It's I mine. used to think the Camel cigarettes, uh, I think they are cigars. I used to think they were chocolate chocolate cigarettes. Are Camel like. cigarettes cigars, Eddie? I think they're little mini cigars, aren't they? Oh, that's what a cigarette is, isn't it? I think Cafe Creme. There was Cafe Creme. They were the really small little cigars that had the, the white plastic tip on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then one level up from that, you had your Hamlet. That was They, they were like fucking 50p. And yeah. then there was another one for 80p above that. They were all disgusting. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> but only the, the bootleg jeans of the Salmon Short guys drink that. Or eat, that's it. Do you ever try cigars? They're all eating smokes. Those illegal cigarettes. Do you know the ones you'd get on Moore Street? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sarchester. Uh, what what's their excellence? Uh, excellence. Do you ever do I, I like I I had them once or twice and I, and I was just like okay I know cigarettes are bad but whatever the fuck this is is really bad. Mm. There was a like circulation, a, a circulation of cigarettes, slaves of cigarettes going around my secondary school years ago, um, 
they were called CKs. Oh yeah. I used to call them Calvin Klein's yeah. silver packet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people were just smoking them like crazy and yeah. they were just calling them sick. Trout, just dying. <laughs> it was just yeah. dying. Do you ever think it's weird though? Anytime I see someone now with an actual cigarette, I assume that they're like absolutely loaded. Yeah. You know, it, it's you see someone with a uh, Rollies. Rollies became the thing after the recession. Yeah, I was and on then, them as well for a while. Yeah. Well, it's just like well, cigarettes now are nearly a euro each or something, isn't it? It doesn't work yeah, out the, quite that's close what, to that. We were only talking on the last podcast when somebody comes up to you and asks you for a cigarette. I'm, yes. I'm like, that is that's a lot of money that's you want from me. Like, yeah, that's mm. a euro. I, 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 I tell you because the thing is, so I don't smoke cigarettes, but after a certain amount of pints. I'd yeah. be like, okay, go on. And the last time I bombed a cigarette would have been about 2017. And I was day drinking. And I went up to this group of women in the 40s. <laughs> I do remember it because it, 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 it was the first time I, I, there was these women there. They were, in the, they were in their 40s. And it was the middle of the day. And I went up to them and said, lads, you'd never have a, a cigarette, would you? And they gave it to me. But as I walked away, I could hear them going, how the fuck does he think he is? And then I went, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm after asking her for a euro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm after asking her for a, for a, a cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you, you never, you never want to be as well. Do, do you know the person who, who comes up to you and they come with the euro? And they're like, yeah. here, I'll give you a euro for a smoke. Oh, but you yeah, rare, yeah, you rarely take that. it. Yeah, yeah. Do people it's do that? I was just going to say that. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing you'll do. Happens. It's a thing you'll do. When, yeah. you're, when you have in your awareness that, hold on a second, these are expensive, you'll come up with the euro. But not not a lot of people will take the euro because to take yeah. the euro then is kind of stingy. It's, it's yeah. an odd social engagement. Yeah. But then you'll get other people who use a type of advanced uh, manipulation where they'll come forward with, with the euro knowing that the person will say no. <laughs> so that the politics of it are mad. It's, just an, after, it's an empty gesture. Someone <laughs> it's an empty gesture, yeah. Approached me before and asked me for a cigarette in a pub or a nightclub or something years ago, man. They were giving me 20 quid so like for one or two smokes. I was like, why don't you just buy a packet? I, and he's listen, like, no, I don't want a full packet. I just want one or two because I don't smoke. I understand 20. that. Like, and I'm like, why are you, are you looking to give me 20 euro for this? Like, <laughs> I understand that man completely. Away, like. I've seen people do that. Yeah. That is someone who he knows that if he buys that. So he, here's his conundrum, right? So he's someone who's an ex-smoker and he wants to know, first off, all he wants is that first pull. Mm. And he knows that after that second pull, this is disgusting. And if I have more, I'll continue. And what he's worried about is not how many he smokes that night. It's the seven that are left in his pocket the next day when he has a hangover. And once he smokes them with the hangover, now he's on that slippery slope of becoming a smoker again. So for him, 20 euros is worth those first few pulls to just go, Ah, lovely, lovely. Oh my God, this is disgusting. <laughs> now I know why I'm, I don't smoke mad, these. though, isn't it? Like, yeah. That's crazy. Well, that's a real, that's a real, uh, that's a real ma man with a solid job in his mid-30s in coppers. That's what that behavior yeah, is. Yeah. Uh, no 20 way. A man in his mid-30s should not be going to coppers, I don't think. But they do. Is do they? Happens. Do they? They do. Cop coppers isn't. I don't think coppers is age specific. I think it's more. Um, I thought it was just like for a guard or a nurse or a teacher. It's a coppers. bogger place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah. new nurses are new. I think just fresh out of college. No. Yeah. Kind of. You'll see. You'll, you'll, you'll see. I, no, I haven't been in fucking coppers now in, in I'd say 12 years. It used to be when, when we used to film on Republic of Telly. It was the only place that was open in Dublin. So that's the only time I've been in there. And I actually fucking hate it because I associate it with being in coppers. 
and then Horse Outside comes on. Yeah. And then me hating the fact that the song is on. Mm. And that why, being the, weird. Why would you hate the fact that the song is on? I, I don't know. Cause I'm too much of a hipster. I'm such a fucking hipster. I hate my own work because it became popular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no that's... Yeah. The, the, um, I'd say it used to make me feel weird. It used to make me feel weird. Do you like being able to just go to these places without anyone knowing who you are? Like, Oh, yeah. It's wonderful 100%. feeling, I'd say. Yeah? It's magnificent. Yourself, like. I love it um, because... I mean, even yourself, Darren, you'll notice if you're out on a night out, even if you are, you'll get people coming up being really sound and they said, Darren, will you do a little video for me? Or will you say hello to yeah. my friend? Nine out of 10 times people are sound, but mm. then the one out of 10 times someone isn't sound and then drink is involved. Yeah. Like I, I had a buddy who, he had some internet stuff and he ended up getting his absolute head kicked in one night. Like Jeez really God. badly, badly beaten up because he, so he, he was the type of person, he had a couple of viral videos. Then people would come, come on a night out. Can I get a selfie? Can I get a selfie? Can I get a selfie? And it, most of the time he's grand. But then one lad came up when he was a bit pushy. So he said, no, you're not getting a selfie. Your man was drunk. He got angry. There was a little bit of a scuffle. And then your man and his friends followed him outside and, and really, really badly beat him, like hospital beating. And I remember thinking, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. I, I, Anyway, I'm not suited. I wouldn't be suited to fame or being recognized or anything like that. It wouldn't yeah. suit my personality. I'm, I'm, I'm a quiet person. I like having uh, privacy. So it's good too. Like I'll, I'll be doing a gig, man, and I can, I can queue up for my own gig. I can literally get into the queue for my own gig. That's I've, mad. Were you ever I'd be, like, did anyone ever kind of look at you funny when you weren't wearing your mask or the bag and you were kind of like, no, no, it's me. It's my voice that gives me away. So yeah, I, yeah, since yeah. my podcast, since my podcast, so you have yeah. people listening to me, yeah. like I've been in situations where like people will go, I know your voice. I know your voice. So like I was in, I, I was up in Dublin, man, and I got into a lift and it, it was a lift. It, it was about seven floors. So that's, that's a good minute of a lift. And as soon <laughs> as I got in, I just said to you, I said to, you, to your man in the lift, I goes, what floor are you on? And he just goes, I know who you are. I know your voice. And it was just the most awkward minute ever. You know what I mean? And then I got out of the lift and I said, just don't tell anyone. Don't, don't describe my face to anyone. <laughs> and that was it. MI5, but 90% so. of the time, the thing is, most people are absolutely sound. It's, it's yeah. what I want to avoid is the, it's, it's the 10% the to the 1%. And I'm not suited to it. I'm not suited to yeah. it. Um, and it's cringy because I'm like a fucking, I'm like a, a Z-list, Z-list Irish celebrity, which is as cringy as it fucking gets. Well, if you're, so Z-li- want... if you're Z-list, man, we're not, a, we're not like, even a let Come on. <laughs> Every fucking celebrity in Ireland is a Z-list. Come on to fuck. On the yeah, well, yeah, yeah. scale of things. Ireland's half the size of London. Right. Yeah. On a, on if, a, on if a you're, big scale, yeah. If you're Sinead O'Connor, if you're Hosey, or if you're Killian Murphy, then you're an Irish celebrity. Yeah. If you're fucking me, it's like you're not, you're not at all. You're just someone on the internet the odd time. No, but you'd and, be big in England as well, the UK and, yeah. and parts of America. I've got stuff like, I, I still don't really identify with it. I just kind of, I, I, I st- I'm still there in fucking, in Aldi. Like, but that's because you, you don't love the middle oil. You like the middle oil, do you? The fucking middle oil of Aldi. But the thing is, I want to enjoy <laughs> the middle oil of Aldi. If, if I walk into the middle oil of Aldi and then I have within my awareness, there's people around here who know that I'm blind by. Now they're all wondering what I'm buying in the middle aisle of Aldi. Mm. And then they tweet about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I want to truly enjoy and absorb the middle aisle of Aldi. That's what I want. 
Jeez, yeah, that gives you anxiety. Do you get anxiety thinking that you'll never be able to enjoy the middle oil of Aldi again? Well, if Blind Boy is Z-list or celebrity, I'm Z, 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 Z. Triple Z. Triple Z. But when it happens, like, I'll be like himself, like, I get uncomfortable in them situations. Yeah. You know? And be like, You gotta be suited to us. It's not for me. Joe will tell you, I just go home and yeah. yeah I don't mean so now there you go it. Darren that means it's a, it's impacting your fucking life would it not be better to just go out and it's just you and your mates and then if you know what I mean that so that's that's what I have and I've had that for a long time and I, I wouldn't change it for the world I absolutely love it yeah. and as well I like making podcasts I like writing books I love doing that Yeah. I don't necessarily like people knowing who the fuck I am like ju- just because someone wants to be creative and to like you, you do sketches Doing that is is really enjoyable and it's fun and it's lovely to have it made and to see it back. Yeah. What part of that agreement is now when I'm sitting down at my family having a Calvary dinner, everyone knows who the fuck I am. Mm. So what would it be like at a Christmas party where where like distant cousins or relatives, they kind of know you or nieces or nephews, they're like, oh, me, me uncle is blind boy. Or, do you know what I mean? What would that be like? So not strangers. That's that's absolutely grand. I mean, again, these are people who half know me, so they have a level of respect. But I was at a wedding once uh, where it wasn't my family. And then someone, it broke out who I was at the wedding and I had to leave the wedding. Oh, my God. It's a wedding. Everyone's drunk. And then someone says, that fellow over there, he's, he's one of the rubber bandits. And then before you know it, like you've got people going going up going will you get up on stage and do the horse outside song and I'm like <laughs> I don't have the music with me I don't have my bag with me and then they kind of don't fully understand so they're like I oh, can do it without the bag I'm like no no so I've had that situation yeah. but generally I tell you what it's like do you ever do you know the way you'd be watching an interview with the person who does like Homer Simpson's voice mm. so you yeah. can hear Dan Castellanata you can hear Homer's voice but then you see his face and it's like, I don't know this face, but yeah. I know the voice. So the, the thing with blind boy, this, this is this bag, that's part of the spectacle. So if people meet me without my bag, it's the same accent, but there's no bag there. So people don't get like weird. But when I have the bag on and I meet someone, then their eyes go different. It's like, oh yeah. my God, it's that fella from the videos, which is a look that you know. It's that fella mm. from the videos. They look at you like you're a, you're a weird animal. But I don't have that without the bag because who the fuck is this lad? This could be anyone. That's nice, isn't it? Like that, That's a nice thing to have. I wouldn't yeah. trade it for the world. Yeah. And I tell you what, Darren, anytime I, I speak to anyone on my podcast who has even the tiniest bit of fame, the one thing they always say to me is I, I envy so much the fact that you have that bag on and, and that you can you can park how, how much notoriety you have, you know? Yeah. I had to, I've had to move house, man. I've 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 had situations, and um, this would have been more now near, near horse outside, but like living in a fucking gaff, just renting, and then the local young fellas find out who the fuck I am, and then it's it's a, like two in the morning, and I have a bunch of teenagers outside my bedroom window smashing on it, going fucking do horse outside, do horse outside. Jesus Christ! So you can't fucking live with that. Can't wow. live with that. Who who fucking tipped them off? You should have just done it. <laughs> no. I, what did I do I get I get one, this was years ago in the morning. this was years ago one of them was about fucking nine and to keep him happy I just I gave him one of my plastic bags and years later now he's, he's like in his 20s now I saw him commenting under a video saying he still has the bag that I gave him no but, way yeah yeah 
the, the, but the thing is, these aren't people being mean. Yeah. They're not people being mean. Yeah, they, they, just... they actually were fans and they liked it. But that's just a weird way to live your life. <laughs> so you have multiple bags? Well, this one now, this particular bag is, uh, this is one that I had made for the podcast and for streaming. So th- this one is actually made out of satin. So <gasps> it, it doesn't rustle. Oh my when God. When I'm the mic. Is this yeah, a new yeah, thing, so th- is this is, That's a new thing. Yeah, only for streaming and for the podcast. And then when I go live, when I'm out, then I'll wear my actual plastic bag. And my plastic bags are from, um, there used to be a gaff in swords called JC's. And G, you never seen JC's out in swords, did you? No. No. It's a, uh, that's a, I assume everyone in fucking Dublin knows everywhere in Dublin but you don't no Sarge um, is like a microcosm it just keeps to itself it's out there by its own <laughs> like no I, one... I lived I lived near Swords about, about 10 years ago and I swear to fuck I'd never heard anyone pronounce the place and when I saw the sign I thought it was called S-words Swords yeah, yeah. Swords Swords Swords, swords. <laughs> going to Swords like, I was out in Swords like 10 years ago and after the bandits got known on TV. We were wearing like Spar and Centra bags. Mm. And then it became like, fuck it, we're giving these people free advertising. That, that's not what we want to do at all. So we ended up finding, um, finding like uh, JSEs, which was this tiny family-run supermarket. And I went in there and it was just mad. The, 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 the manager used to have like a microphone and he used to be shouting over these speakers about the deals that they have. I was like, I like this place. I like this shopping center. So I think he guessed my accent or something like that. And then he gave me like 700 JC's plastic bags. He gave me like their entire supply. So I, I have now still maybe 400 JC's plastic bags and I get about eight or nine uses out of each one. And what I like about it is, is sometimes I get criticized where people will say to me, Jesus, isn't it very, in, in, you shouldn't be promoting these single use bags. Is that not bad for the environment? Mm. But the thing is, like my bags are actually fantastic for the environment because <clears throat> number one, I took 700 single use plastic bags out of circulation. Good number man. two, the whole thing with single use plastic is that that's the point. You use it once, you throw it away and it never decomposes. So that's the problem. So the only uh, environmentally friendly thing you can do with single use plastic is to repurpose it and turn it into something else. So I'm getting this single use bag and it's then if it's going to a skip, I, I go, I'm making this into a fucking mask and I'm getting seven or eight uses out of it. And then what I'm going to do, I think when I'm older, because I never throw the bags out, like I have all the old bags as well. When I'm like 80, I'm going to do like an art installation, right? Where I make a fucking, like a giant kitchen sink, like a huge one now, but the size of a house. And then underneath it, I'll have a giant plastic bag with all my plastic bags in it. Oh. And it'd be there like an art piece, like all these plastic bags under a giant kitchen sink as an art piece. That's some. And then I'll get, I'll get, it, I'll get into a hot air balloon, and I'll just go in, I'll go into up into the air and die in space. That's a good idea. <laughs> die in space. <laughs> That's a good idea. Will the hot air balloon just be the massive bag upside down? Mm. It could be a big JC's hot air balloon. Like just take me up as high, so high that the atmosphere just pops the balloon, then I fall, to, fall to, to, to my death. Yeah, I I love that song. And ironically, that song is about <laughs> flying into space in the balloon and dying. There you go. Is it? No. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I don't know, what fucking kiss from That's Morales? a great song. It's a great song. Come here. Uh you said you failed your leaving cert. Yeah. C- congratulations. That's that's no easy fee. <laughs> 
Um, it's not easy at all. How yeah. does it feel that you wrote, what did you, two number one books, best-selling yeah. books? How does that I wrote feel? two books. Mm. It, that, that feels good. I mean, so how did I, I, I made a bollocks and I leave and start, like I, I got shit points and more importantly, I really failed maths, like really, really badly. I failed foundation maths. Yeah, so did you? Yeah. Like I can't count. I, I, I barely can count. Like I'm handy at other stuff, but I can barely count. Mm. So I utterly failed it. And luckily with Ireland, like Ireland, I was still able to get into a PLC. So I knew I wanted to do art. I went to art college. I wanted to be drawn and shit like that. So I went there as well. Did you, did you go to a PLC or you went to art college? I've done a PLC in art and design, portfolio in art and design, yeah. And you failed your leaving cert? Yeah, and I failed that portfolio. And then I was like, I want to be an actor now. <laughs> <laughs> you failed art But isn't design? it class, Darren? Yeah. Isn't it brilliant, though, that even though you failed your fucking leaving, when you get to like 19, they go, hold on a second, here's a, here's a different opportunity for you. Mm. And that's what I found, too, because... I was a, like the person you are when you're 19 compared to who you are when you're 16, 17 is completely different. So it was just lovely to get that opportunity and for me to realize, hold on a second, I wasn't shit at school. It's just that school wasn't designed for the type of brain that I had. Right, but then when I, how did it feel then when you got the break to get onto uh, Republic of Telly? Did that feel like a moment for you? That must have been like. Yeah, because that's different. That's a step. Like that's he's a big good, step up, isn't he? He's good at his questions. So you're going from these, you're going from these CDs and passing them around and stuff. And I think you might have been uh, in the Irish hip hop scene a little bit. Yeah, then, a little bit. Yeah. Then to get like, it must have felt like a real break to get on to was a season three of Republic it was, of Telly. It was season three of Republic of Telly. It, it, that's literally what it felt like, a break. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, so the thing with me, and so I was, I was in art college, and as far as I was concerned, right, I'm going to be an artist. I'll be a graphic designer or whatever. I don't know. But I still always had the prank phone call stuff. And as I got a little bit older as well, like when I was doing prank phone calls when I was, when I was uh, 15, 16, I just thought that was messing. But then when I got older, I realized, no, you were actually writing comedy. You just didn't know if that's what you were doing. You were writing comedy. Mm. And the whole thing with comedy is you have a, a crazy character and then you have a straight character. And that's how it works. Like in order for, Ma for Homer Simpson to work, you need to have your Marge Simpson. And the straight character becomes um, the audience at home. And with prank phone calls, what it was, was I was playing the, the crazy eccentric character but then the person who doesn't know, the member of the public, they become the straight character. So it's basically writing a comedy sketch in the moment. So when I'd gotten older, I'd realized like, oh, I was writing comedy then. So I was doing, we were doing like uh, videos, songs and stuff, putting them online. And then the odd gig. And then the call came in from Republic of Telly. And we were actually, so the call came in on a Friday and it was James Cotter. Who, who he was working on Republic of Telly. The call came in and said, we're filming a new series of Republic of Telly. This was a Friday. Can you have something ready for me on Monday? And that weekend I was gigging Electric Picnic. It was our first ever Electric Picnic slot. We were playing some tent. And I remember thinking to myself, this is my shot. This is my break. Mm -hmm. I need to, I've never written a script in my life. I've never worked professionally in comedy, but I need to have a script ready on Monday morning, no excuses, even though I'm gigging at Electric Picnic. So the first script was a thing called The Guide to Limerick. 
and it was 2010, it went on Republic of Telly. I'd have written that in my head the entire weekend over Electric Picnic. And then on Monday morning, I didn't drink. I didn't go near any hash. I did nothing. I was like, I got my opportunity on Monday. I'm going to do this 100%. And then I delivered the script on the Monday morning. And then by that Friday, we were filming it. And that week, I learned so much in that week about what it means to be professionally creative more than anything in my life. And it's like I was saying to Tui earlier, like, it's, it's, a, it's a shitty thing for younger comedians now in Ireland to not have something like Republic Italy existing. The opportunities to go from making your friends laugh to working with a camera crew and writing and feeling professional, mm. those opportunities don't exist at the way they did in 2010. So I learned so much in that one week and little simple things like, I remember like mailing James Cotter and going, look, I'm trying to write this sketch, this three minute sketch can you give me at least one piece of advice? And he said something like, just make sure there's a joke every 30 seconds. And just that alone, that alone, I was like, right, now I know what I'm doing. So we wrote this, this guide to Limerick, filmed it on the, the Friday. And one thing that I really stressed, and this, this, what was, this was what was mad important, RTE at the time weren't really taking the internet seriously at all. They really weren't. And I said to Republic of Telly, this sketch that I'm making, promise me, please, for the love of fuck, make sure it goes on YouTube afterwards. Don't just have it as this sketch that goes out mm. on television. I promise, promise you, if you put this out on YouTube, this will, people will share it and it will work. So they did. And that video ended up getting 100,000 views in a week, which in 2010 was mad. Because mm. you have to remember, people didn't have smartphones so to, to watch a sketch in 2010 meant people after a dinner opened up their laptop or they did it at work. People didn't have smartphones to give it views. So 100,000 views in 2010 was, it'd be like a million views now because now you've got the phone, you see. So you get yeah. views a lot quicker. People are using it a lot more. You had to think differently back then. And it was those 100,000 views that that got. That's what got us asked, asked back onto Republic Italy because then it was like, this is because I don't think Republic Italy was doing that well at the time. It was doing okay, but it wasn't doing well. And now it's like we have a viral video, but it happened on TV, but it's a viral video. And RTE hadn't really seen that before. They hadn't gotten into that. So it was the first viral video. And what was great was here's a, like the videos that you make for the internet now, like just the sketches that the pair of you make, mm. like they're really professional. They're really well shot, well edited, really professional work. You couldn't do that by yourself in 2010. You literally couldn't. The technology wasn't there. It, you, you wouldn't have the budget to have a decent camera. Yeah. So the opportunity to be like, I'm working with a camera team. I've got all this. And here's this well-edited professional piece of work. And now it's on YouTube. That was fantastic then at, at that time. And I always think back and go, I could have chickened out. I could have chickened out. When I got that call on a Friday, because that's one thing you always have to be careful about if, if you're creative or, or if you want to, if you want to be something. We can have this fear inside in ourselves where you get an opportunity and then you come up with all these excuses as to why you shouldn't take it. But really, you're afraid. You're afraid of failing or you're afraid of succeeding. And I knew at that point, it was like, I have to take this opportunity and I want to give it my 100%. And if I give it my 100% and it fucks up, at least I can say to myself, 
fuck it, I wasn't good enough. Mm. But there was no way I was missing this opportunity because I was a chicken shit or it was electric picnic at the weekend and I just wanted to get mad wrecked. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I was it's like, tempting. no way. It's you, have take, <laughs> you have to take things serious at some point. Yeah. yeah. You know? I was like, no, this is, this is a fucking shot and there's people who've been working all their lives to try and get a shot like this. Mm. So come here. Where, where, when did Horse Outside come out? Was that season four or five? No, that would have been two or three months after that. So, so still season just, three? Yeah, it was all just happening. Yeah. Right? Holy so, fuck. So, so Horse Outside, so the first thing we did was uh, Rubber Bandit's Guide to Limerick. Then they said, we love that. Can you come back on next week? Not, no, not only that. They said, we love that. Can you come back on next week? And can we have you on, on two different slots in the show itself? All these studio pieces. So now I, I was writing three scripts a week, which was just unbelievable because it's like, oh my God. I was like 22 or 23. It's like, I'm getting paid for writing for TV. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I actually couldn't believe it. And it felt fantastic. And my self-esteem felt good. All the, the, the horrible feelings that I would have had about failing my leave insert, all the low self-esteem, all the telling myself that I'm, I'm worthless and useless and that society isn't made for me, that went away. And I'm like, no, this thing that I, I have something which isn't rewarded in school. They used to call it messing. In school, they used to call <laughs> this messing and I'd get kicked out of class. Yeah. Now I'm being paid for messing. Mm. Now there's people saying, your messing is actually comedy. And now you're being paid to do it. So Horse Outside was like December of, the, of that year. So I started in the September, did about five or six sketches each week. And then by December, it was Horse Outside, which again, we didn't know. I was kind of like, I've got this song on my computer called Horse Outside that me and Chrome made. I have it on my computer. Um, and I gave it to James Cotter and I said, why don't we just make a music video for the laugh? And we did it. And I, I didn't think, I remember saying to him, this will be really good. This will get 150,000 views. This will get 150,000 views. And then we put it out and within a week it had 2 million views and it was, it was global. And sure, that was mad. That, 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 huh? Did you expect that at all for, for the no. horse? No. Even no, after you've seen the cuts of the videos. So when the music video was shot, what was it like in a day? Shot in a day? That was shot in a day. That was shot in a day. On a, on a, and the thing is as well, like RTE budgets are tiny. Like I, I was paid, I was paid 250 euro for horse outside. Like that's how much I would have been given from RTE, 250 euro for, for the thing. And I didn't give a shit because I was like, I don't care. Like I'm getting a music video made here. But mm. like the budgets were tiny. So anyone who was acting in that video, they were, they were people we knew, you know, mm. every, there was no hired actors. The lights, they didn't even have a budget for lights. So we had to get a buddy who happened to have lights to come along. The second camera that was used on the day, RTE didn't have budget for that second camera. So we had to ask a buddy who had a camera to come along. So it was a, a big effort was put in there. And even when I saw the cut, no, I, I didn't know because the thing was, is that we're talking 2010 here and viral videos were only just beginning. And Ireland hadn't seen a, a proper viral video before that. There really hadn't been. So it was a kind of a first mm. and it was mad. It was freaky. It was terrifying as well for, cause, because for about, a, for about one month, we were like yeah. proper famous, proper we, we, on we front of all the papers. Like We would have been doing stuff on Facebook then when this was all happening. Like, Go away, well, were you even back then? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, wow. I would have started in, what's it, 20, 2011, 2012? So when was that, 2010? 
This was 2010. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember so, seeing you first, I'd say, in 2011. Yeah. I would have started. It was after Horse at Six. He would have been gone since 2006, yeah. I, oh, where were you? Yeah. yeah I, well, where would you put your stuff? Did you put your stuff online? Up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wow. probably, I mean, at the, I, there was some music stuff as well. I mean, nothing that I'd be proud of, nothing that I'd go back and, and look at. Like, there's some stuff with Barry Cogan when he was just a young fella. Go away. Me and, me and Barry, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, He's gas him. He, um, he looks like, he looks like what vinegar tastes like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, he's such a, a wonderful. I love it whenever he's on screen. Just fantastic. You can't stop looking at him. Yeah, yeah. But in yeah, so the stuff that I made in two thousand and six, seven, eight, uh, I would have put forward to Republic Italia. You know, at the credit scene when you had a yeah a sketch running over the credit scene, I would have been putting stuff. But I would have been only sixteen, seventeen, or eighteen. So it was really crap. I mean, looking back at it, I'm like, all right, I can see why I didn't get it. Didn't get picked. I used to look at. But the thing is, Joe, they're not. This is the important thing. They're not failures, even though you made them and you don't like them now, and they didn't get accepted. If you never did that, you wouldn't be in a position now where you're making stuff that you like and that you can stand over. Yeah, you have to make shit, man. You have to make it a load of shit. You have to fail all the time, and you have to do it as much as possible. If you don't agree with all the stress. I've yeah. made a load of shite, like, do you know what I mean? And it's just <laughs> made a load of just shite. crap, like, just complete. But shite. the shite, how much yeah. shite do you have, Darren, that that never gets to see the light of day, like sketches? As in, like, from years ago. Darren, from any time, like, Darren any, has how no much filter. Stuff do you it make? all goes out. <laughs> oh, does it? Yeah. <laughs> There's a beautiful a man. Like, one of my favorite things I ever saw you do. It was one of the sketches you did in your kitchen. But you you stuck your tongue, you put your tongue underneath your lip. Oh, like that, that, yeah, that. Which is just fucking fantastic. That's the, it was visceral, roll, man. Because yeah. that's a thing. Oh that... man, if you if you've ever gotten a decent dead arm, mm. it's do you know what that is? That's the Irish lad equivalent of a cobra flaring up its neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the type of lads who give you dead arms in school. It's that's they all, that's, that's the character. That fucking, that's literally underneath. someone. Is that what it is? Yeah. To someone I went to school with, without mentioning names, that used to just say. And just do that actually, and then say, "Come on, let's dice." Let's yeah. say, Did he say let's, let's dice? dice? Let's dice. What was he a '50s character from like Maine? I don't know what he was doing. He's let's just, dice. Just one of these. People. I'd love to know where that comes from. I'd love to know, like, is that specifically Irish? Like sticking the tongue on underneath the lip to indicate. Yeah. Because the thing is, too, <laughs> it's a mad one. If you, isn't if it? you yeah. get a box into the face, if you get a box into the face, if you get a clatter. You want to make sure your tongue is away from your fucking teeth because mm, mm. a proper jab and you've bitten off the top of your tongue now. They start so doing like, this thing. Yeah, there's biting your knuckle as well. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah, they start yeah. making noises like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, I, I, I do remember watching a fight in school and the two lads, they weren't the type of lads who'd be fighting at all. And throughout the fight, they started making... <laughs> those noises How? and it's like, Making it's like you're, you're having a real fight lads yeah. that, those are the noises you make when you're doing a fake fight when you're having a laugh but yet you've introduced this now into actual conflict <laughs> it'll be like lads at a war going bang 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 while they're murdering people writing a comic book while they're fighting some people yeah. punch some people punch themselves in the head just to get their temper up when they know they're about oh I'm gonna yeah. and then he bat box themselves that in the head. that's an occasional <laughs> one I think what that is now is that's closer to um I think the person who does that actually really doesn't want to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so I think lads, it's it's, it's kind of going, number one, I'm so mad I'll hit myself. Please yeah, don't yeah. fight me. I think that's the first indication. 
then because I witnessed it happening on season four of Jersey Shore. Do you remember Jersey Shore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Jersey Shore, right? There was a character called Mike, the situation in season four. They were in Italy. And Mike, I think, was going through a, a drug problems at the time. So he was particularly aggressive. So Mike ended up getting into a scrap with a fella called Ronnie in the house. Now, Ronnie was huge. Mm. And Mike now had gotten to the point where it's like, oh, fuck, we're actually going to have to fight now. And I'm not winning this fight. <laughs> so he went for the hit, hit, hit. And then finally, the last thing he could do, he headbutted the wall and knocked himself out. So that was the only option because it's like, I'm going to have to play possum here. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I know a fella, I know a fella who did that. How do I say this now without revealing any identities? Stone's head man. A fella I know ended up uh, in a Middle Eastern country as a trad musician and somehow was having dinner with like royals in this Middle Eastern country. What? I feel he, like this guy is going to be really easy to identify. He won't mind. I just don't want other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whatever happened at this dinner, he'd ended up offending someone who was like a high up bodyguard of someone royal. So the type of person he was told who he could literally make it disappear in a desert. And whatever he'd done, he'd managed to offend this person. And this person really wanted to fucking kick his head in or possibly do something worse. So this fella, he just, people were there. This, he pretended he got so drunk that to even touch him would have been a humiliating act for the person who was doing it. So he went human possum. He just went, I'm Irish and now I'm so drunk I might piss and shit myself. Mm. And that's how he, and then he was carried out. And that was the only way he could get out of the situation. So I think that hitting themselves, that's part of that philosophy. It's, it's the person who hits themselves is someone who wants to get out of the fight. Culture shock. It's also part of the, so people talk about the fight, a flight instinct. Does, yeah. like, as part of that, like the tiny reptile part of your brain is yeah. also to play dead. So it's not just fight or flight, it's fight, fight or flight. Fight, and freeze or yeah. fawn, they say sometimes, like the deers who, who faint, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's like part of that. But I think if you're in a social pressure to actually fight somebody and you don't want to fight them, you have to punch yourself in the head to get yourself, you your tempo what? roiled up. Like you'll be punching yourself in the head all the time. I'd, I'd run. My, my, my instinct is to fly. I never want, to, I'd just be like, here, let's, I have to go home. I say, I'm only messing, buddy. I'm only messing. I wasn't really slagging you, man. I'm going to leg it there. <laughs> See, I, I'm so really this, good at slagging people. And then if they ever like stand up to me, I'm, I'm gone. I'm like, I was only messing. I, so remember earlier I was talking about when I was thrown into that really, the bad class. <clears throat> and I was like, the only thing I can do to, to, to survive here and to get approval is to be known as a mad bastard. Mm. So that basically meant that I would never have to be in fights. Because I was the person in class who'd make everybody laugh. So if anyone wants to have a crack off me, somebody else would go, no, leave him alone. He's mm. hilarious. He's funny. He's harmless. Leave yeah, him be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feeling, never yeah. had to, if someone picked on me, someone else would always step in and say, no, he's not a target. He makes everyone laugh. Leave him alone. That's not his thing. He's not a fighter. So yeah. that's what worked for me. So I, I never had to. I never had to. And I never had. And the other thing as well, if you are in a situation where you're the person who makes the really hard lads laugh, they, you have their protection. Yeah. If, if anyone else is causing shit against you. So that worked mm. for me. I, I would have been, yeah. been the same. I would have been the same. Ah, Conway's all right. Yeah, he's all right. Ah, he's funny. Conway, he Conway's all right. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's mad. Come here. I just kind of want to fast forward 
in Weird. time. Uh, just go real fast. Yeah. Uh, you put up a tweet saying that, yeah, I don't know if it's a tweet or an article, I can't remember now, but you were saying that you are anxious about the country opening up and you kind of going to do shows and leaving the gaff, essentially, yeah? Yeah. Um, you have agoraphobia. Is that what it I is? I don't, I don't, I don't have agoraphobia. So I would have had agoraphobia years ago. When I, so when I was, it would have been right after I failed my leaving cert, you know, because my, <clears throat> my self-esteem was in tatters. It's when I first started to experience mental health problems, anxiety and depression. And bef- how it starts is if you get a panic attack when you're a young lad and you don't know what it is, it's terrifying because you don't mm. know what it is. And when that happens, you literally think you're dying. So I'd had a couple of panic attacks in, in a pub or I'd had it in a shopping center where I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dying. This is, this is terrifying. I am dying. And the fright of it was so bad because I didn't have any language around it or any education around it. I just thought, all right, okay, so I better stay away from the supermarket now because it happened there. Oh, I better stay away from the pub. And then you end up drawing this map of where you can and can't go to avoid panic attacks. And the only safe place then became my, my room. So I'm like, fuck, now I actually can't leave. So I was very much a, a shot in. And it was like that for about maybe a year until I went to a therapist. And when I went to a therapist then, because I was in college, you see, so when I was in college, the therapy was free. Thank fuck, that was, that was hugely important. So, and the therapist just said to me, oh, what you're experiencing is called a panic attack. It's like a fire alarm going off, but there's no fire. And then he was able to show me a list of the symptoms and I was able to go, wow, that's exactly it. And when someone says to you, this is what it is, it has a label, 50% of it goes away because now you don't feel isolated and alone. You don't think, holy fuck, this terrible thing is just happening to me. Mm. And it's so mad that I can't say it to another person because I'm te- I'd be scared of even saying it. I never want to say it to someone, do you ever be looking at carrots and duns and then you think you're definitely dying? Like, I never wanted to say that to someone. But when the therapist was like, that's really common. That happens to loads of people. Then it became manageable. So I then, in therapy, using things like cognitive behavioral therapy, I gradually became someone who was able to go back into society and able to go to pubs and able to socialize. But the thing is, with COVID, the two years of being stuck inside, like, it reminded me of that period. Now, the thing was, when I had agoraphobia, there's no good reason for me to be afraid of a pub. There's no actual good reason. There's a fear, but that doesn't mean it's real. So, and I used to be afraid of touching door handles because of germs. I used to be washing my hands all the time. I was doing these things and my therapist would say to me, just, you, you can work on this. You don't have to worry about germs. You don't have to worry about other people. These fears are in your head. But then you find yourself in COVID and it's like, oh, fuck. I actually, there actually is a good reason for me to be a bit wary, wary when I'm in, a, in a, a supermarket. There actually is a good reason because I might uh, get COVID or give it to someone I love or there is a good reason for me to be mindful of, of sanitizing all the time. Mm. There is a good reason for me to be stuck inside the whole time because there's not, I can't go outside. I'm actually, during lockdown, it's like you're not allowed to travel past two kilometers. So now all of a sudden my literal environment had become the life of someone with agoraphobia and that was really difficult for me having lived through it so now that i'm finding myself back in in things opening up a bit the social anxiety is coming back like i'm forgetting how to communicate with people how to how to speak yeah. so it's 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 a bit like that but it's it's getting normal and 
it's not as bad as it would have been back then, but I'm definitely having to relearn just how to talk to people and how to, do you know what's class? We've sat here now for like an hour and a half and no one has talked about lockdown or COVID. Mm. That's a, that's a good thing too. Yeah, I, it's a fantastic I mean, thing, man. Yeah, yeah. But it's happening now when you're out in real life mm. talking to people. The, no one's saying, like for, for that whole period, you couldn't even have a genuine conversation with a mate that you just met because the only thing you're, you're going to talk about is how is lockdown affecting you? Yeah. Mm. There's no spontaneity. You can't yeah. talk about their new dog. Yeah. That's like people saying, are you looking forward to Christmas and stuff? There's no like thing around that like, will it happen? Can we do this? Can we do that? Do you know that kind of way? You feel like it's yes, it's like Christmas. Like, yeah, like, that's nice. Kind of we're, we're pretty sure that Christmas is going to fucking yeah, happen, which is yeah. cool, like, you know, which is brilliant. Mm. And the, the other thing as well about COVID is is, and this is for everyone, I think. So do you know those the two weeks after Christmas where you don't know what day it is? Yeah, yeah. and the and and you kind of just sit around and watch TV and eat tins of roses, and you're allowed to drink on a Thursday. I think a lot <laughs> of us did that for two years. <laughs> yeah, because our only our only context. For lockdown was the week and a half after Christmas. That was our only context for yeah. sure. I can't go outside. All the shops are closed. There was no feeling of a weekend, wasn't it? Or no. like any, no. any day. Put up a, though, like any you know day, way, man. Jesus. You have days like it feels like a Thursday. Oh, this feels like a Saturday. Like yeah. You know I, I made a video Just, about uh, drinking and not knowing what day it was like. Mm. And somebody commented underneath it saying, uh, "Sure, we're all living on airport time." You know, you can go to the airport yeah. and have a point at any time yeah, of the day or yeah, night. Like, that's, that's what COVID was like. I had a lot of buddies uh, developing problematic drinking habits from Zoom quizzes. <laughs> what? So, yeah, at the start. Remember the start of, of yeah. the first lockdown when everyone was like, let's be positive. Let's, let's all meet up on Zoom every night and do a mm. quiz. Mm. But everyone was drinking at home doing it. So, and then they found themselves getting shit-faced and then it was continually happening. And a couple of people just going, holy fuck, I didn't think of it, but I was basically drinking unhealthily five or six times a week because of these Zoom quizzes. Unintentionally just having, yeah. having a laugh. And oh, sales, sales of off-licenses went through the roof. Like, yeah. the You even see, if, if you're in the supermarket now, and this is one mad thing I've noticed, the infrastructure of what the drink section looks like is completely different. There's now a full section just for big boxes of beer because that just changed the culture of drinking at home. Yeah. Yeah. And they have doors on them now. What do you mean? You yeah, think, I don't know how I feel about doors. those doors. What? What do you mean? Have you never been to the doors? You've not seen them. Oh, the door. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you have to go the to doors, it's like a fucking the doors. Are like the doors on a fucking 20 pack. No, it's like a Western tavern walking into <laughs> I don't into know them. how I feel about them. I mean, what's it for so a child doesn't see a bottle of whiskey? You never know. Is it is it to make you feel like you're doing something dirty, like you're going into the the oh, red area a, of a fucking video shop? Like, do you know <laughs> what? It actually does work. Do you yeah. know what? It actually does work. Your that that does work. So there's been so I'd be like, um, I'm I'm not mad about drinks since lockdown. I kind of want. I I I haven't been able to enjoy drink like on my own. I need to be in a pub. So when I'm in the supermarket now, and my mind goes fuck it, will I go over and look at the cans? Will I go over and look at the wine? That barrier actually does act as this thing that makes me go, no, uh, I no. won't. I'm going to go over to the pasta now. Yeah. It, it <laughs> really does like work. That, like. Yeah. It's like a little question that says, are you sure? You look at cocktail, don't you, blind boy? I do. I enjoy cocktails. Not, um, why do I like cocktails? There's a lovely cocktail place in Limerick called Pharmacia that opened a, a couple of years ago. And I suppose it, it's, 
cocktails are expensive, right? So a cocktail is like 12 quid. Mm. So when I was first getting cocktails, I'm like, when well, I'm drinking this for an hour. And it just made me slow down because again, growing up in Ireland, like thinking back being a teenager, like man, the fucking teenage discos and shit like that. And, and you're kind of like, I have to down an entire nag in a vodka really quickly so I don't get caught or I have to drink all this Dutch gold in that field really quickly. And then you get to be 18 and you're in a pub and you don't know any differently. Mm. And then you're drinking really quickly as if someone's going to take it from you. <laughs> and that's, it's a big problem in Ireland. We don't have a culture like on yeah, the continent where someone could be in Spain and they'd be 12 years of age and their, their parents will, will give them a tiny glass of wine mm. and you slowly mm. appreciate it and drink it. And it's not about getting drunk. Like I go to Spain sometimes and I go to this city there called Cordoba and there's no tourists there. I'd be the only drunk person in a city of 300,000 people. <laughs> the like, only I, I can't believe. Yeah, I'm there like, holy fuck, you mean a pint is only a euro? Yeah. Why aren't you drinking them all? And I'm there utterly, utterly shit-faced <laughs> yeah, yeah. with all these Spanish people around me. With, with a, they'd be drinking a beer that size and nursing it for an hour. Yeah. And I can't understand it. Mm. So what cocktails allowed me to do is, it's like, here's a 12 euro drink. So you better drink this real slowly because this is the price of three pints. So all of a sudden cocktails allowed me to slowly sip and it changed how I drink. And then it's like, ah, oh, you don't have to get absolutely shit-faced just because you're in the pub. The guards aren't going to come along and steal my cans or yeah. steal my nagging. Mm. I'm actually an adult. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's, it's like the conflict between uh, wanting, it's like the relationship we have between money and alcohol is like conflicting against each other. Like I couldn't bring myself to spend 12 euro on a Long Island iced tea or a, a like a sex on the beach or yeah. something like you know, mm -hmm. even though they're gorgeous and I'd probably prefer one over a pint and it wouldn't fill yeah. me up as much as but and it'd probably get me drunker as well. Like, but I just can't bring myself to paying that much money. Like, if you hand in 20 euro, you don't even get like 10 euro back, you're getting a handful of change back. You mm. do, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's I, I just say to myself, this is three pints and maybe yeah. I don't want three pints right, right now. I'll tell you when I'll drink a cocktail. When I'm not on the lash. So when I'm literally just meeting someone in a pub, I'll drink a cocktail for an hour. Whereas if I go for that pint, I'm naturally drinking it quicker and then quicker. And before you know it, going out and meeting someone turns into going on the lash. But so why the does the pacing change? Why does the back pace? on the smokes. Then you're back on the smokes. <laughs> and then you're back on the smokes. Why does the pacing the change between a cocktail and a pint? Like, a pint? you know it's only fucking five to six quid. Like. Yeah, That's but, it exactly. That's it exactly. And, but the context, the muscle memory of my lips on the pint glass, mm. it's, it's a gulp, you know? Yeah. Um, You'd nearly force but, up them, wouldn't you? You, you caught a Guinness anyway, yeah? A Guinness, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's one of the things. Sometimes I'll, I'll avoid a Guinness for that reason. Like, because Guinness doesn't have fizz, mm. like, mm. The, 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 wonder, the wonderful thing about fizz in a drink is that it can act as a barrier. To, to, but when, once you've Guinness, your, your gulp is twice as big because mm. it's just like silk. You we know, haven't had down. a drink in about two months. Yeah, Darren's been out to drink. No, I, Why is that, I never really drank anyway, like, you know. It'd be only very rarely I'd have a couple of pints or something, but it doesn't do anything for me. All oh, right, okay. I was like that until until I turned 30. And then I, 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 I hated drink mostly throughout my 20s. Mm. And then I went over to Barcelona and started hitting the sangria. Yeah. <laughs> sure, it, it only takes me to see one nice uh, beer flag outside the pub. Yeah, for me to say, ah, guancha. <laughs> but there's something about the sun, and it, do you know what I love about Spain and Barcelona, and like 
I just love the Barcelona's Catalan now. That's yeah, like Catalan. calling Belfast, England. Yeah, but that's what I said. Yeah. And, and Barcelona. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I just love the the outdoor drinking. I know we have outdoor dining here, but it's fucking freezing. But if you go over there, oh, yeah. like you're just out and a sangria, like oh stop, that's yeah, that's you heaven. You are right there. That's heaven. <laughs> story. I know it's a different story, and it's it's one of the positives I think of the lockdown is is we've gotten a little bit more used to that European style sitting down yeah. outside. Yeah. But the one thing I'll say, man, so when you go to Spain, right? So Spain's problem is that it's hot. So they 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 literally put roofs on the streets. You could be in Spain, and if it's a really hot day. They have these temporary canvas canopies that they put over a street to introduce shade. And you're kind of going, wow, why the fuck don't we do that in Ireland? Because it rains all the time. Mm. Yeah. Like another thing about Spain too. So every single night, like literally every night, every street in the city is washed down. These entire teams of council workers go out and they wash every single street. Mm. And I think that's brilliant. A, I'm like, because the place is pure clean. B, Look at all those jobs that are created. Like you're talking hundreds of people washing streets every night. But in Ireland, we just kind of go, what's the point? The rain will wash it. And then everything's dirty. <laughs> yeah. The rain doesn't really wash it. It just makes things a, a strange shade of green. Yeah. 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 Get the power hose out. So what? <laughs> yeah. I had a lovely, I was in Spain one night. Again, the only drunk man in this city. And just making a meal of it. Just being drunk paddy two in the morning took my shoes off and I was walking down the road at about three in the morning, pissed, barefoot. And the workers who were washing the streets, they just started washing my feet. It was fantastic. <laughs> they were just like, look at this leprechaun. And I was putting my bare feet out and they were roaring, laughing in Spanish, <laughs> washing my feet. And it was fantastic. It felt like being in the Bible when everyone used to wash each other's feet. <laughs> That's great. Did, did they? Yeah. Or was it just man, Jesus' I, man, Do you not remember that from school? You'd <laughs> be there, the teacher would be talking about the Bible. And you'd yeah. be there listening, going, all right, okay, water into wine. Wow, class, class. Why the fuck are they washing each other's feet? What the fuck is that about? <laughs> Everyone washing each other's fucking feet. Non-stop. Joe and then I started the thinking, geez, it must be filthy over there. What's going on? But this, of course, they weren't wearing shoes. Yeah, sandals. Sandals. Yeah, you went to the Bible, Joe, yeah? He's into ah, the Bible. It's the greatest yeah. book ever, the greatest story ever told. Um, I'd love to get, I'd love to, see, the thing is with me and the Bible is, is school kind of ruins it. But mm. like, I'd love to go back at it with a bit of maturity and I could do it in such a way that I wouldn't be religious. Because the thing is, like, I'm not into uh, religion or, or Catholicism or any of that stuff. But at the same time, you've got this book called the Bible, which is thousands of years old and does yeah. have a lot of wisdom in there. And you've got the roots of philosophy, the roots of psychology, all that stuff is there present in the Bible. So I would like to go back and look at it with a bit of maturity and yeah, say, yeah. I'm reading this as a guide to life and I can I can actually do this without needing to be into Christ or into God or anything like that it's just mm. a, a fantastic document yeah and a great story like it's it's incredible mm. and there's some religions out there like obviously the Catholic Church the establishment has ruined and tainted uh, religion for most people in this yeah. country and anytime you even say religion or religious it sounds like a dirty word but like yeah. the, there's nothing bad in the bible like you know what i mean and there's certain there's different religions uh there's different like sections of christianity i'm on a bit of a discovery myself like i I'm, mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm here or there but there's different sections of christianity that teach different things like catholicism literally believes that the cracker that you eat is literally the body of christ 
Like haunted it's, bread. It's, it's literally <laughs> haunted bread. Yeah, it, it's literally Jesus Christ's body. Whereas there's yeah. other ones that's just like, no, it's just purely symbolic. Like it's just a nice gesture. It's just a nice thing. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I can, I can get behind that. And then there's other things that I can't get behind. And I, yeah, so it's just kind of... I, I think about that as well in terms of Irish culture. Because the thing is with Irish culture, Catholicism is very much tied in with our culture, right? But with being Irish. Yeah. And if you think of things like... Communions are a good laugh. Baptisms are a good laugh. These, mm. these are nice things where family gets together. But today, people are a little bit more, they're like, I don't know if I want to do, I don't want to be doing this communion shit. I don't want to be imposing Catholicism on my child. I don't want to get this newborn baby and all of a sudden induct them into this fucking religion when they're only a child who can't make their own mind up. Yeah. But like, like here's one thing I like about um, Judaism and Jewish people. So Jewish people, they, they can still celebrate Judaism while being atheists. So there's huge parts of Jewish culture whereby they can get involved in, in, in Jewish ceremonies that involve the family and stuff, and they don't even have to believe in God. It's like, this is a cultural thing. And I think sometimes it mightn't be bad for Ireland to adopt a bit of that, where it's like, all right, you, you don't like the Catholic Church. You don't even believe in God, but we can still do something that's a bit baptism is baptism is he or a bit communion is he yeah. they're not words man but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah well there like, is isn't it there's there's like people like to lose that people are having humanists wedding it's like weddings yeah and it's it's all the, it's all it's the exact same as a catholic wedding except it's not a priest and it, you know what i mean like yeah. so there is different ways but communions were a laugh <laughs> communions and confirmations are a laugh <laughs> Do you know that? I was baptized, was baptized in, a, in a the local swimming pool. I was baptized in the Oilac oh, Fountain. The Oilac yeah, Fountain. The Oilac Fountain. <laughs> what is that? What's that? The Oilac Where you throw center. the money into it and make Go a away, wish. in the shopping centre. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. That's good. Yeah. Here, wait, tell me this. Uh, what's the crack with this chicken hut place in Limerick? Is it any use? So chicken hut is, is uh, I did a deep dive podcast into this recently, right? So right. the thing with Limerick, like Limerick, uh, Limerick's reputation isn't great. Now, that's unfair. You'd understand now, being from the north side of Dublin, it's the same, same shit with certain parts of Dublin mm. where people will say, oh, don't go where, don't go there. It's, it's, it's like this, it's violent. And then if you're from there, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is completely different. Mm. This is mm. bullshit that's made up by the media that people like to say. So Limerick is the same. We have a, a, a very poor reputation, which is absolutely unfair. And the people in Limerick are like, come down for the laugh. It's not, you're not going to get fucking stabbed. It's not like that. That's bullshit. So one of the things that we're really proud of in Limerick. Now, so here's the conundrum. So because Limerick has got a bad reputation for so long, we don't have that many tourists. So because there's not that many tourists, there kind of isn't a huge amount to do. Like mm. when you compare it to Galway, like we're bigger than Galway. But if you go to Galway, Galway's a laugh. Like Galway's amazing. They have so many pubs and restaurants. It's incredible. But Limerick's bigger and we don't really have that because we've never had people coming here to be tourists. Because someone will say to him, don't go to Limerick. That's where everyone has a knife. And that has a really bad impact on the place, a real measurable impact. So when someone says, all right, I'm going to go to Limerick, what, what can you recommend? The one thing we always recommend is, is this place called Chicken Hut, which is it's just a takeaway that does the most amazing chicken you've ever tasted. But I did a deep dive recently, right, into the fucking chicken. So the fella who founded Chicken Hut in the 70s, his name was Pat Grace. He went over to Canada, and while he was in Canada, he literally met Colonel Sanders from KFC, like the fellow yeah. with the white beard, and yeah. like he literally met him. 
And Colonel Sanders had recently sold KFC to a larger company. So he was up in Canada, basically rogue. And Colonel Sanders' thing was, this was about 1971. Colonel Sanders' th thing was, I made this perfect chicken recipe in the 1930s. I made the perfect chicken recipe. But I've sold KFC to these fucking Americans. And to save money, they've changed the recipe. And now they're making shit. KFC is rotten. So Colonel Sanders gave the original KFC recipe to this fella, Pat oh, Grace. No way. Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he opened the place called, first he opened, they were called Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he opened this and then he was sued by the proper KFC. He was sued by them to, to change the recipe and to make it like their recipe. But he was like, no, I got the recipe from actual Colonel Sanders. He opened the place in Limerick. He opened the place, I believe it might have been Crumlin Shopping Centre, which became Texas Fried Chicken. Yeah. He opened the oh, place as well yeah. in, do you know Fibsborough? Do you know the yeah, Fibsborough yeah. Shopping Centre? It's got the, the Kung Fu Buffet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that used to have one of them, right? But they closed down. And the only one that was left, it became Pat Grace's famous fried chicken and it stayed in Limerick. And that place now is Chicken Hut. But this is where you get literally the long lost KFC Colonel Sanders recipe, the original best from the 30s. The only place it still exists is oh in Limerick. Oh my God. I think we should yeah. take a trip down. 100%. And yeah. But this 100%. is, I only found this out recently after doing a real deep dive for my podcast. And it made me feel fantastic because. It's like you're there in Limerick going, oh, you got to try this chicken. It's the best chicken. Now we can actually say why. Like <laughs> we can literally say, hold on a second. This is like fucking Lord of the Rings. There's a long lost recipe and this is where you, <laughs> the only place you can get it. And wow. just chilling in Limerick just randomly. The chicken hut. And if you do go to the chicken hut in Limerick, you have to get the chicken hut gravy. That's the special. That it, it's, a, yeah. it's a chicken skin and flour and oil with this special blend. And it's yeah, like God wanker. fucking wanking into your mouth. Oh. I'm starving now. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I want to get some of that. It's like hillbillies. Do you ever try hillbillies? Uh, no, so hillbillies. So I found out hillbillies is so this is how it works. So Pat Grace, who found that got the recipe from the colonel, his brother then went rogue and opened up hillbillies. So hillbillies is, is Pat Grace's brother's franchise. So they actually get their recipe from, from Chicken Hut, but they change it a little bit. So it's, it, it's oh. still nice, but it's a cork thing. Cork. Cork. We like Cork down in Limerick. I thought it was a Dublin thing. Now, Fairview, the one in Fairview. You've got Hillbillies in Dublin. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah Hillbillies yeah. comes from Cork. Hillbillies comes from Cork, and it's it's Pat Grace's brother. And so he opened it up in, in Ennis Cork and probably Dublin as well then. But it, it's different. It, it's But they get their, they got their recipe from a chicken hut in, in Limerick. It's like the Irish, it's like the Irish Aldi versus Little. I used to, I don't know yeah, if it's yeah. true, but I used to think that they were brothers and they were competing against each other. They fell out and then there was a competition between Aldi and Little. Yeah, that's a big German thing. Same with Adidas and Puma. Yeah. But you know the, the Airtricity League, the Airtricity League in Ireland for soccer? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that used to be the Kentucky Fried Chicken League. Fuck off. Did it? No, yeah. it did not. So I swear, look it up, man. The BBC did a video. BBC came over and, and, and it was so ridiculous. The BBC came <laughs> over in 1977 and filmed it. So Pat Grace, who got the KFC recipe, decided that he was to invest in Irish football. So the actual league in the 70s was the Kentucky Fried Chicken League of Ireland. And this then became the Electricity League. That's good. <laughs> no, because it wasn't but the That's what I do with my life. Yeah. I, I, I go like a mad bastard trying to find out these bizarre facts and, and put them out on my podcast. That That's my week. The internet is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you can 
learn a lot of things from the internet. Come here. Um, one of my favorite songs that you you have is Spoiling Ivan. Spoiling Ivan, yeah. Mm. Is is that based on a true story? Please tell me it is. Spoiling Ivan is is what is Spoiling Ivan is just a song about a grown man becoming friends with a child and being really nice to him. Yeah. And, and there's there's the thing is is that that's literally all the song is about. But we wanted to put it out in such a way that because of the way society is, people would think there's something inappropriate about it. Yeah. So mm. There's nothing inappropriate about it. It's, it's, it's a grown man helping and becoming friends with a child who's not his own. Yeah. But when you look at it and when you view it, you kind of think something's off here. And it's like, no, nothing's off. Society is off. Like, when did you go? I, I feel like I'm going heavy again with this shit. But when did it go for you? When did it go from making funny songs to like, you make some heavy shit now? Like, it's yeah. not funny. <laughs> it's like ironic, but heavy. I suppose just my fucking age, just, just getting older. I mean, the, I always look at the rubber band that says, like, that's what we were doing in our 20s. That's, that's yeah. that, that 20s energy where. You're a bit of a mad bastard. It's there was still that element of me of of like needing to impress the lads in school, and then I just got older, and it's like I can't be doing this anymore. I I don't want to do this anymore. I, this isn't the type of stuff I enjoy anymore. And the recession, I was I was really radicalized by the recession, circa 2014, 2015, especially with um the, the suicide rates in Limerick were so high. I I think. Oh, Jesus, man, I think around 2015, it was about 10 people a week. Very, very high. And I lost a lot of people to it. And I kind of just said to myself one day, fuck me, I've 250,000 followers on fucking Facebook. And I'm someone who's been through therapy. And I have, and I trained a little bit. I wanted to be a psychotherapist for a while. So I just started going, why, why don't I start speaking about mental health? Why don't I start speaking about depression, anxiety, saying these things to lads who I know are fucking dying. And I started doing that. And just that put me on a trail of kind of going, hold on a second, who says just because you've got a bag in your head and you, you're silly, that you can't also be serious about stuff at the same time. And you can't, it, it, it was a sense of responsibility as well of having a platform. It's like, what's the point of having a platform where a lot of people follow you? If all you're doing is making them kind of making them giggle or making them laugh when you know that you can do something else. So it was kind of I felt personally pressured to kind of do it. And that then just changed the nature of what I do. So now sometimes I'll do something funny and sometimes I'll do something dead serious. Mm. And I think in 2021, people are more OK with that, because if I'd have tried to do that in 2010, that wouldn't have worked. But if you think of how we live our lives now, especially through social media, you'll be scrolling through your phone and you'll see a cat video. Then you'll see a dead serious headline about climate change. Then you'll see another cat video. Then you'll see possibly a video of someone getting beheaded by ISIS. And you go through your phone and at all times, you, the observer, have to change. You have to see serious, funny, serious, funny, sad. And you have to level with all that stuff and make it make sense in your own mind and what this has allowed us to do as a society is you don't have to be just funny all the time you can be serious you can you can be a number of different things at once and we have the the media literacy to be all right with that 
Mm. Do you feel a weight of the responsibility if you're talking about mental health and if you're talking about serious topics? And and you, no. are, as an individual, do you feel like a, a certain responsibility or? Not really. What, what I try and do is, so when I speak about mental health, I'm, I try and make sure that I speak as much as possible about my own experiences. Mm. So if, I, if someone asks me to speak about depression, anxiety, whatever, I'll go, well, here's what I went through and here's what worked for me. And if listening to me speak about my experience helps you in any way, then, then brilliant. But if I was to step outside of that, then first of all, I'm not qualified. So I'd never speak about them. Um, like, even though I mentioned something like suicide, I, I never go into detail about it because that's what a professional should be doing. So they would be irresponsible of me to do it. So I'll, my mental health talk is the, it's the equivalent of a personal trainer saying you should probably eat more broccoli. It's, it's, <laughs> it, that's about it. It's, it's, I kind of just go, <laughs> there's different ways to think about things. There's the, you, you know, understanding your emotions is a good thing. Knowing uh, the difference between anger and jealousy, knowing the difference between fear and anxiety, it's really basic stuff. It's, it's the equivalent of um, eating a high fiber diet with vitamins is probably better than eating a lot of processed shit. And that's as far as I take it. And then when it comes to my podcast, if I do want to address anything that's really serious, like trauma or suicide, I bring on an expert. And then the expert who works in that field, who has a, a qualification, they can speak about it. And I'll, I'll have the confidence then that what they say is, is ethical and responsible and safe for the person listening. That's a very good way of doing it. Um, That's the best way. Otherwise, yeah. you, you risk talking out of your fucking arse. And then someone's going <laughs> to say, that. oh, no, you're wrong there. No, that's, yeah. that's not right. Yeah. And then you're like, fucking hell. So I, I, I know the boundaries of, of where I can and can't talk. Mm. But for a man with a plastic bag on his head, it speaks a lot of sense. A lot That's of part of it as well, though, because the people in suits have kind of failed us. Like, oftentimes, if I'm, if ever I'm on the fucking Late Late Show or something, or I, I, and I mention something like mental health, a lot of the comments I'll get, like really, really angry comments, are from people who just say, I can't take this man seriously. He's got a bag off on his head. Take that fucking bag off if you're to talk about something serious. Mm. And what I always say there, right, is, they don't want me to talk seriously about something. What they're looking for is what's called solemnity. And solemnity is the performance of seriousness. Mm. And this is what judges do. This is what politicians do. It's what the church does. It's a performed seriousness. And when you perform seriousness like this, you can actually get away with lying. Like if you look at uh, recently political scandals in Ireland, like if, if a, a, a politician is caught blatantly lying or blatantly being corrupt, they'll handle the whole thing in this very professional, proper way with their suits on. And we're then OK to be lied to because it's like, I know they're lying, but they look like someone who isn't. Well, blind boy, is the Latin coming up? Like, do you have any showers or Latin coming up? Vicar Street? I have Vicar Street there on Tuesday. I think it's nearly sold out. Um... I Vicar Street on Tuesday. I'm going to be talking to uh, the actor Robbie Sheehan, who's ah. a good crack. I'm going to be chatting to him. Oh, so yeah, that's cool. Vicar Street this Tuesday. That's a, it's it's a COVID style gig. So I think there's only like 400 tickets. I've another three Vicar Streets in November. Uh, every every Monday of November, except the last one. I don't know. I can't do numbers or nothing. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. But the Mondays in November, I'm in Vicar Street. They're mostly sold out. But if if you look, you might get a ticket. Deadly. And is there anything else? Do you have any books or anything coming out? Yeah. 
I'm writing a book at the moment, but I've nothing out. Look, I've my podcast every fucking week. Blind by podcast. Tune into that. Yeah, absolutely. That's about it. Taking it easy. Well, listen, You're... man. Thanks, thanks a, million. a million. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Steve, for having me on, lads. And, and you're doing fantastically and fair play to you. And it's an absolute pleasure to see you doing brilliantly, having watched yourself for so long. Thanks absolute pleasure. Much. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for stalling it. Yeah, that's it for this episode. Chatting to the main man, Blind Boy. Thanks for stalling it. And thanks to the listeners for stalling it. Join us again next week where we'll be talking more crap. Yeah. <laughs> where we put on radio voices. Yeah. And start talking like this. Plan. Peace. See you guys next week, next week. 51312, a lot of traffic on the M50. <laughs> yeah. 48. <laughs>